0: everyone welcome to the trail life podcast i'm your host jeff stoner i have got a super special episode today i don't know how many favors i had to pull or how many free race entries i had to give out to get to get my next guest on he is probably one of the most decorated if not the most decorated ultra runners in the last 15 years and we'll get into a long list of his resume but just a quick off the top he was and still is the youngest ever finisher of the badwater 135 he has won the Barkley Marathons uh, at age 22. At age 23, he got second place at the Tour de Gence in Italy, which is a 205 mile race across the mountains with a total elevation gain of 78,000. And still to this day, he is the only American that has podiumed at that race. So there's a lot a lot of stories to get into and, and some real talk about ultra running, so I'm excited to have him on. Please welcome my next guest, Nicodemus De La Rosa.
1: Help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. Nick, what's hey up? Hey Jeff, man? Uh, pleasure pleasure to be on the podcast, man. Thank, thanks so much for inviting me on. I'm uh, really excited to be on the Trail Life podcast with you guys.
0: Yeah, you know we've we've kind of talked in the in you know off off recording is like there's been so many like crossovers that you know we've been at the same groups or whatever. But we've never had a chance to meet one another, so it's. Finally, it's a great chance to finally meet one another and, and yeah. have a chance to talk some trail running because it's I, with everything that you've done and races you've been in. And, and it's for me as a, as a race director, it's really cool to, to hear some of these stories and get a kind of a feel from different events across the world. You know, I, I got love, I love hearing those, these type of things. So it's, it's amazing, but you know, I was, when I was doing the research on like your races and everything else. Like I literally have like five pages of races that you've yeah. <laughs> completed here. It's it's a mile yeah. long. And yeah. I, I just, I want to just go over just a couple of them really quick before we get into any conversation on any one in particular. And it's, it's amazing how young you actually started doing ultra races, yeah. which is, yeah. which is awesome. And so again, like I said at the intro, like 19, you were the youngest finisher of Badwater 135. So that is amazing. And and as you stated to me earlier, is that's been cut off now. Like you nobody else can beat you at that. Yeah. So the, so which yeah, is a Chris, great
1: Chris Kossman, the the RG for that, I think uh took some sympathy on me or kind of understood my position there. Um <laughs> when I applied for the race back when I was eighteen in two thousand eight. Um Cause he had done, um, I don't know if a lot of folks know that about him. He had done race across America uh, when he was 20, I want to say, um, was one of the youngest people to ever do the do do Ram. And, um, so saw me applying to Badwater and hey man, yeah, this this has been my dream. And it had been kind of my dream ever since I was like 16-ish. And I'd heard from a lot of uh kids in cross country in high school, like, oh yeah, Badwater, man, that's the toughest thing you could ever do in life, <laughs> man. That thing, that thing seemed crazy, man. And no way. And you know, we're just doing our, you know, 5K, 10K cross country races in, in high school. And um, yeah, when Badwater came around, I was just thinking about that in my head. That was my fifth. I had done two unofficial 100 milers to just see if I could do it. Um, okay. one, one was a fundraiser for a friend with cancer, and then uh, I'd done the Havoling 100 and then the across the Years race and then and then jumped into bad water. Yeah, so it's so cool to be at that event for the first time <laughs> <laughs> Well,
0: it, it, and it doesn't finish there. Like it's again, you did you so much by the time you're age 25. Like age 20, you ended up doing the Western States 100 and ran a 21 hour 40 minute race there at age 21 you finished the arrowhead 135 and you did your first of three attempts right three attempts at the Barclays yeah. Marathon yeah yeah and then age 22 you actually won it and yeah. and to this day and if for, and we'll get into this in a second but for anybody who doesn't know anything about Barclays Marathon it's only had in since its inception 30 over 35 years it's only had 18 finishers mm-hmm. and you were number 13 which is awesome yeah. At, yeah. at age 22. And I've, I've yeah. seen the competition and the, the racers that go into this. So it's, it's really cool. And again, we'll get into that in a second. And then from 2014 to 17, there's a long list of like some international races that you did. We, we I mentioned the tour de France uh, yeah. race there, there was the, uh, Ronda, Del Sims and Andorra, yep. the Devil's Double in Nicaragua, which sounds really cool cuz it's yeah. a you have to complete two really crazy ultra races in over a 4-day period. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's That's what the perfect. the Fuego uh y- Aqua and yeah, survival, fu- run, the Fuego, the survival Run and then there 100k and, K, there. and yeah. then there's the Hurt 100, the Fat Dog 100, yep. Cruel Jewel 100 yeah. and the Dragon's Back in Wales. So I mean, yeah definitely traveled the world and seen some of these amazing races. So it's it's been really cool to, from a race director perspective, really get an insight of like what these races were like. So, so just to even get, before we can get into the running. So we, you started at 19, what got you into running itself?
1: Uh, so, So Badwater was at 19. I started, um, marathons and everything like that. Um, When I was, I started running more or less at the age of 13 or 14. I I'd watched my mom go through a uh, divorce with obviously my father. We'd moved across the, the, we were living in Italy, moved back to Southern California and watched her sort of use it as a mechanism for cathartic release, healing, Um, and sort of, sort of
0: kind of that outlet.
1: So to speak. Yeah. Sort of as an outlet. And, uh, and so I started kind of using it in a, in a similar way, um, mimicking a little bit of what, what she had done in that regard. And, um, yeah, she did, I watched her do her first marathon when I was 14. Um, and then to make a long story short out of that, um, had a lot of low self-esteem issues and stuff like that when I was like 13, 14. Um, and so not dabbling too much in the, cross country races and stuff like that with other kids, I so said, I didn't have a high enough sense of self to really like, you know, lose to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of had to create my own category or stick out in my own way. Um, and marathons were the way for me to do that at that age. And so I was like, Oh, okay, I'll do, I'll do a marathon at the age of 15. No other high school freshman is doing a marathon. Um, <laughs> and that's, I can, I can stand out and look really cool doing that. Cause I, I know I can suffer like that. And you know, I, I wasn't, Terrible. I did like a 329 on my first marathon at the age of 15 in San Diego rock and roll. And then from there, uh kind of a slow, not a slow trip. I read Dean Carnass's book, you know, um, uh, when I was 17. And I had learned, you know, oh, whoa, people run, people run beyond the marathon. What the heck? Um, so I think it was shortly after reading that book. I went to try it myself. And I got to like 28 miles, just <laughs> running through Poway, California or whatever up towards Escondido. And, uh, and then I was like, whoa, okay. oh whoa, 20, miles. oh man, <laughs> that's, that's something else. I think I did it entirely like on Gatorade or Powerade or something, you know, that's pretty jacked up <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, yeah, then, uh, I had a friend who was, uh, diagnosed with cancer and sort of as a fundraising project for him in high school, I chose to do a couple hundred milers later that year um kind of as publicity stunts to to do a fundraise money and stuff but again yeah. feeding that need to sort of stick out from my peers kind of thing um who were now you know competing in state championships and stuff like that for cross country and uh and so I was doing my 100 miler instead around the track and um yeah that was how I kind of got into did my two unofficial 100 milers and then so
0: did I, was did, yeah, go did I, did I read, uh, your, one of your official on hundred milers was what, 400 laps around the track yeah. or something like that? Yeah, Is that yeah, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> now yeah. that, that. Adam, anything else is just mental toughness, right there. I mean, yeah. to do 400 laps around yeah. a track, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> I can't even imagine. Like, I have a hard time doing doing a full mile around a track. Mm-hmm. It just gets mm-hmm. a little too boring. So,
1: to yeah, do, <laughs> to do yeah, that it was interesting. Um, I mean, it was a little. It was nice because I had a lot of family and friends and people from the school supporting and stuff like that. So it was a nice convenient spot for people to join, donate, run a few laps with me, Uh, a company you could show up and support by throwing up a banner or something like that. So it's easy from like a sponsorship donate type. Right. It'd be like a hundred mile on a treadmill type thing that you, yeah. you see uh, either Taggart or Zach Bitter or someone like that doing these days, but um, it is possible. It's, it's a, yeah, but it's a, I'm trying to remember all the way back to them, man. I mean, what made it doable was having a lot of family and friends there and just, just constantly changing people and stuff. So you're not really thinking about like, oh yeah, more laps. Oh geez. <laughs>
0: wow. So then was after doing the two unofficials, Badwater,
1: yeah, and the- Badwater
0: was your first official
1: Okay. uh there was have ha- the 100 and oh Haveline oh, this right. Haveline uh, 100 in 2008 and then um across the years um yeah so i cool. talked to, I'd, I'd seen that i was chatting with david goggins uh in the early days of um well training after he had done it in 2006 and 7. i I'd met him at one of the fundraising things i did and uh i was like enamored with him and charlie angle and alcos and the incarnassus which are some of like the early 2000 mm-hmm. phenoms in the sport While i was chatting with him uh, and he was like oh no you gotta have 200 miles to qualify for Badwater, man." And, and i realized this like six days or something like that before across the years and i was like oh shit okay six <laughs> mile run 12 mile run six mile run taper taper let's go <laughs> and then and then goggins advice the time was um just you know do do across the years but keep your heart rate underneath 140 beats per minute the first Fifty miles, if you can, and then and then whatever. So I just I took his advice to heart. I wore my little heart rate monitor, mm-hmm. took it as easy as possible as I could for the first fifty, and then and then tried to open up a little bit more on that second fifty. Yeah, there were there were little inklings of Barkley already in there. Um, I'd met Joe Decker in two thousand seven when, when doing this 3000 figure project I and mean, these hundred milers and stuff, it was with Joe that, uh, through, through Joe Decker and gut check fitness that I kind of did my first 52 miler through Rancho Penasquitos. It was in that, that he, he had been talking about, um, yeah, a crazy weird race in Tennessee and stuff like that. And, um, Yeah, you know, I finished all this ex-Marine guy and and super tough dude, you know, not known to drop out of anything at all. And, you know, was world's fittest man and won a bunch of the Spartan Death Race stuff later in his career. But he was talking about this crazy race in Eastern Tennessee that like just just killed him and i was like what the hell race is it what, what race kills this guy and and that had intrigued me having done bad what i was like yeah. what's the next what's the next episode? right so that was a little inkling of it and i was like okay just, just maybe this thing called barclay and then i met a guy named wendell dillman who had been on the third lap a few times uh, at barclay um, i met him at across the years and I he was first or third or something in the race. Um, I chatted with him a little bit about the race as well. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Barkley, man, that's where it's at. And, um, and this was in 2000, yeah, 2009. Um, so this was already a little, those are probably some of the first seeds of like, okay, yeah. weird Tennessee years. race that I got to get out. To
0: <laughs> weird Tennessee. <laughs> ra- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, let's let's go in. Let's just jump right into the, the yeah. thing Cause I, like, again, that's one of the most like intriguing things to me is, and you know, I've watched a lot of, a lot about Barclays and I've heard Laz talk and everything else. So it, yes, the, the intrigue of this race is amazing to me. And the fact that he creates it so much that you shouldn't like, you should not be able to finish it, which is yeah, kind of an yeah. awesome thing in a sense, like, like yeah. to be that uh, psycho, to be like, okay, we, we want nobody to finish <laughs> this race and this is how tough yeah. it's going to be and everything else. So, so going yeah. into your, into your first into the first attempt,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like what's your mentality? Uh, like, and what's your prep work like that? And then moving forward into like your second time trying to do it, like, mm-hmm. because those first two times you obviously you didn't complete it. And I think if yeah. I, I read it, right, right. You, you only got to like, what 40, 40 miles or something like that, 40? Oh,
1: or... man. Uh, I mean, my first one, I was three laps. My second one, I was one book off of being four laps my fifth one, or my, my third one, I finished. Um, yeah. so I went it's more or less three, four, five. Two thousand, what was that? 2011, well, 13 was when I finished. So it would have been two thousand eleven. Uh I would have been twenty years old at the time of the race, because the race always occurred about uh, a month before my birthday. So the race itself, I was junior year in college. I'd just done you know, Arrowhead 135. I'd just done Arrowhead 135 earlier that year. Uh so that was in like late January, early February. Um, barely skated by on that, that race like was completely brutal. That was something I was totally unprepared for the difficulty of totally put me on my ass in terms of just, uh, just to speak about that race just briefly, you know, that's one that's, uh, really understated, uh, incredibly difficult. I'd say it's difficult to say, you know, oh, this one's more difficult than this one kind of thing. there's different factors that people deal differently with. Uh, and the thing that freaked me out when we left uh, St. Louis, Missouri or whatever, when my plane flew out, you know, the. I was like, Oh, sorry. Yeah. There's been a 30 minute delay because the, uh, the engines have been frozen. It's about, you know, negative 14 outside. I was like, Oh shit, where am I going? I'm going <laughs> north of here. Where's up here. And, um, and just, I'd seen on like YouTube or something like that. People with like a uh, boiling water. Uh, and when it's like negative 20 plus outside. You can chuck, you can chuck boiling water into the air, and it turns like ice instantly and falls to the ground. And uh, and I'd seen some people do that, and so I boiled some water in the hotel, and I tried that, and it did it instantly. I was like, oh shit, what am I getting into? And uh, and and I knew for this one, you know, you had this mandatory. Um, Sled that you had to drag, right? And and, and so this is kind of totally different uh, when you look at the biomechanics and, and movement with a sled versus just normal running. It changes quite a bit. And uh, and this is something I tried a little bit in, in Flagstaff, uh, where I was going to school. I don't think I I don't think I biomechanically got that down. So you see so you're dragging the sled with all your required gear and stuff. And the aid stations because this race is set up for skiers uh, and maybe bikes that are moving a lot faster than yours. 135 miles. And there's ski division, bike division. I Think maybe a snowshoe division and a running division. And yeah. and I was in the running division. And um, yeah, those aid stations are like 30, 35 miles apart. So it was like 50k on your own. 50k on your own. 50k on your own. And it was like at two in the morning when it's like negative 40 going over a frozen lake. It was just like, dude.
0: Now this is yeah. arrow, this is the arrowhead 135 we're talking about here. Yes, yeah, yeah. So so just the, just so just so people don't get confused. One arrowhead yeah. 135 up in Minnesota. So
1: exactly. Uh, anyway, exactly. Ahead, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And I basically I made it through that race with the with having partnered with it, with another guy, having made friends with another guy at the time, then him and I kind of bounced off of one another and kept each other from falling off into the snow and just dying.
0: <laughs> how how was deep crazy... was, cause cause that, I mean, obviously up in Minnesota during the winter time, like how yeah. deep was some of that snow getting, like, were you like,
1: um, very calf, luckily, calf deep or knee deep? Very declining? luckily it's on a snowmobile path. And so it's oh, all, okay. um, it's, it's all flattened out for you and everything oh, like it's that good. there were a couple sections where it was deep but nothing nothing too bad the um the worst parts of that course worst and funnest parts of that course were where you um. it was later on in the last maybe 40 miles I want to say uh, where you finally went through some hills uh, most of the course relatively flat um the last part of the course you go through some hills and um It's a pain in the butt to drag your sled up the hill. It's a pain in the butt to get that thing going uphill. But once you get it up the hill, there were nothing in the race regulations that said you couldn't sit on your sled and like sled down the hill. And so, like my fondest (laughs) memories in that race are like racing my friend or whatever it is, like little kids, like at two in the morning, like sledding down sledding down the hill or whatever you know. I like yeah half a mile that I don't have to run thank god <laughs> so that was that was really fun but um
0: there's not too many trail runs you can have that access to uh, this is to uh, no, no. Have, be yeah. able to bobsled down uh, down a hill a little bit <laughs>
1: exactly man. exactly so, so Barkley uh, came about man uh, you know applications for that uh, obviously earlier in the year and so I had applied in
0: Cause it's a pretty tough application process too. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think all of my information has since changed. Uh, I'm not, I'm still not going to reveal too much, but the, you apply sometime in December and secret email, secret place, secret password, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. But, um, so, so applications are around that time of year. So I knew already by, by in, in December that, okay, I'm on the wait list. I was number 19 on the wait list. I'd spoken with um, Joe Decker who had gotten in the race and, um, He was like, ah, yeah, just wait, wait until next year. Uh, You'll you'll get in the next year, whatever it is. And just for whatever, I left myself on the wait list just to see. And uh, it was two weeks before the event. So after Arrowhead 135 and two weeks would be about mid, mid mid-March, 2011, mid-March, 2011. uh, So I'm a junior in high school or junior in college, kind of busy with getting towards finals and stuff stuff yeah uh laz emailed me and was just like hey your spot's up uh, if you want to if you want to be in the race um let me know next person in the line is hot to try and that's more or less what the email said oh shit okay oh man i gotta jump on this opportunity okay uh, i know I'm totally gonna, like, I, tell, I know i'm totally gonna botch this course but at least it's like i, I can get my i can get my feet wet i can get in i can get in this i can give it a shot you know so I said yes. Uh and I went out there at the time. Yeah, I just in that two week period, I didn't run a whole ton, you know. I mean, there wasn't anything aerobically or, or condition-wise that I knew that I was about to change. Yeah. I was I was going to be the condition that I was. And so I studied uh I started studying the geology of Frozen Head State Park to know the stratigraphic layers that you would go through as you as you were at different elevations. I studied the flora and the fauna of the region to know, like, okay, you're at lower elevation, you run into this kind of uh flowers and plants and things like that. Okay, what does a rhododendron look like? What does a beech tree look like? How do I delineate a beech tree from a the, you know, your typical pine tree? And so I started learning that stuff to know like at different parts of the park. Like what, what will that look like? Um, it's like a, like uh, land, like
0: landmark stuff, I guess.
1: Yeah. 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 Realize um, what, what
0: part of the area you're in, I guess. Huh.
1: Yeah. I went through and I read every single online race report that anyone had ever written of the thing to start to piece together the course. Um, I went on, uh, Google earth and I, and I printed out, uh, as detailed as I could, uh, USGS maps and laminated those of the whole region. And then kind of built the course in my mind, according to what I could rebuild from the race reports and got very familiar as much as I could again with like, mm-hmm. okay, that's this peak. That's this peak. That's this peak. That's this thing. If I go off trail and I really go far North and I hit this road or I hit that river or whatever it is, and just started really like learning and knowing my landmarks. Um, and I took one just crash course in, uh, orienteering where the person just taught me, you know, basic stuff like triangulation, um, how to aim off and handrails and uh, basic stuff like that. Um, so it was all just sort of like two weeks ban. <laughs> yeah. Then got out there. I uh, was really surprised when I got out there and it was like showing other people my maps, talking to other runners and stuff. And like, I haven't done any of that. No, you're going to show up and like, try this thing, man. You, you seem like this. you seem really prepared, man. <laughs> and it's like, what do you, you guys haven't done any of this? This is weird. kind of wigging me out that like other people just hadn't put in that level of effort to try to, to try to know the, like for if you, you're, if you're going to go yeah. out there or whatever it is. It's off trail. Like, yeah you ought to know the region. Um, and you, and you're following like little instructions that are like, get to the top of the, and, and good and luck ever finishing the race, following Laz's instructions. Like you didn't <laughs> just follow veterans. It's a, you know, like go to the top of the mountain at the top of the mountain, there'll be a, a, a tree that's been cut down. There'll be a stump and under the left side of the stump on the West side of the mountain, there'll be a, a rock and the book is underneath the rock. Okay, you get to the top of the mountain, like there's like 90 stumps, you know, and fucking <laughs> rocks everywhere. And you're just, uh, uh. Yeah, and so uh, and so
0: so people the people that don't know so when you there are checkpoints along the way that you actually have to get something out of the book, correct? Like you have to yeah, like, tear a yeah. page or so read a passage, whatever it is, right? That you have to, so return. to explain
1: the the basic format of of the event. You have sixty hours to complete the the race in order to move on to the in in in, in the race itself is built up of of. A, a loop that is done repeated times. In that loop, uh, the, the entire course itself is unmarked, uh, so no no trail markers or anything like that. Parts of it are on an actual trail. Most of it is off trail. Um, that's permitted in Frozen Head State Park under the aspect that they have a fairly low volume of people doing the events. This isn't a thousand two hundred person event. This is mm-hmm. usually a thirty to thirty five person event. No no GPS watches, no cell phones, um, anything like that. You know, map and map and compass. you you're pretty out there on your own you can have a little um uh your basic timex watch from walmart or something like that you know um to know your time of day so then when when the race starts you you, you're given um you know let's just say on the first loop or whatever uh i'm given the number 11. um and then okay i'm bid number 11. and what Laz has done is he's gone out and he's put uh 10 books um, so these books, 10 to 13 books, it varies each year a little bit. And these books are something titled like, you know, you're doomed dying like, alone. Like, yeah, very uh, obscure, uh, lost, like lost in the, lost in the woods, <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, whatever it is, you know? And, uh, and so they have these sort of foreboding titles and so you're going out there and you're like, Oh, page 11 of lost in the woods. Okay. And so then you're, you're in the middle of nowhere in the woods, theoretically lost out there. And so then you rip out page 11 to show that you made it to the edge of, uh, the Fikes peak or something like that. And then you run down and then you run to the top of testicle spectacle and then you rip out page 11 out of no exit here to, to get your 10 page. And they show last those at the end, he counts your pages, verifies that you did the loop and then gives you your new number, which will be now number like 58. And then you've mm-hmm. gone gone for your second. loop. And so the format of the race goes clockwise. Typically it goes, and there's a lot of little variables that last can change year to year, Typically though, it goes clockwise, counterclockwise, clockwise, counterclockwise, and then you get to choose if you make it to the fifth loop, what direction you go at that point. But it's basically a daytime loop, nighttime loop, daytime loop, nighttime loop. And then the race has other weird things where it starts Anytime time between 12 a.m. or 1 a.m. Um, and 9 a.m. I think um, yeah, and, you,
0: and nobody ever knows, right? You get like one, yeah, yeah, 20 yeah. minutes so or 30 you, minutes, something like that yeah. to, to know.
1: Yeah. So you, so you so go to bed the night before the race, the uh, Friday night before the race, and then uh, at the blow of the conch shell. Uh, so you see you're uh, sleeping around this campground and you hear this, and then after that, you know, you have an hour to to prepare and then be at the start line a lot of athletes that I've coached for the event have, you know, slept in past the conch thing and like, Oh shit, I only have 15 minutes to get to the thing. And then just super frazzled, which is not the way you want to start the event, get to the start line of it. And then just, you know, mm-hmm. it, it kind of, it gets pretty ugly if you're on this race uh, and, and, and you get stuck in sort of an anxiety yeah. mindset. But so
0: um, going into like all your prep work in the, for the first, first time around, like how did you feel that that helped you out? Like in
1: that first couple, Oh yeah. A couple of laps, Um, right? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was terrified, uh, you know, showing up at that event. I was, I was like, wow, I've, I've yet to DNF. Um, I, at the time I defined myself as a runner who, you know, Oh no, I, I don't DNF, DNF for whatever it is. I just, you know, hadn't happened to me yet. And so I was really terrified, like, man, this is, this is going to be the race. This is going to be the race where I tnF This is going to be where it happens. And so, um, uh, I was trying to hang on with Joe Decker, uh, who was in the event and stuff. And I was hanging out with him kind of, kind of behind him near him, um, for, for a chunk of it. And then I split off and then went ahead of him for whatever reason. And then didn't catch the next group before we were moving on to book number two. So this is the, the, a uh, cold spot or a garden garden spot um the northeast section of the park and uh, a lot of people have either been out there done the course before uh, maybe done the barclay fall or Barkley fall classic um that's a fairly confusing part of the course there's a lot of jeep roads that are circuitous and going in the same direction mm-hmm. um the part with uh frozen head state park is it it's pretty if you haven't been out there a whole ton, it's oh, pretty indistinguishable. One canyon, one road looks the same as the next road looks the same right. as the next road, in, in, until you really start to. Oh, okay, no, this is the road with the Gatorade bottle. This is how I know it's my road. Um, you you got to get that, my name. And, and and so I got I got totally lost there for a good I don't know twenty or thirty minutes my my first year, and then was way back behind Joe Deckard and got caught up and him. Was like, "Hey Nick, where'd you pop out from?" I just <laughs> kind of crawled out of the bushes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, good to see you again. So then it's like, oh, I'm staying staying with Joe. And so then I stayed with, with a group of veterans who'd been at the race before up until the um, up until the tower. And the tower is sort of a, one of the famous landmarks of the course. It's one of the few spots where, where crew, if they want to, and crew back in 2011, prior to the documentary, wasn't really a thing nobody was out there nobody cared that that was going on nobody knew mm-hmm. that that was going on she started getting some cramping so i went off on my own again and i getting kept, kept really really scared to go off on my own and try navigating this thing on my own because despite doing all of that usgs survey and, and all that work and all that like okay just you know okay i know rhododendrons grow near rivers and i know the beach trees grow near rivers and i know up higher it's pine trees and stuff and despite having done all that it was just like this is all going way too yeah. fast and that's all useless because um, there's all this like, I don't know. It's, um, it's interesting. There's a degree of uh, the athletes that I currently coach for it. Uh, I would call it the, one of the main skills that you have to have for this race, the distress tolerance, emotional regulation. So, so mm-hmm. this is like the, your ability basically to, Things are falling apart around you, or you're very close to a cut. Like, I would say, an athlete that is used to running very close to the cutoff of events, who, who you know, maybe a back of the packer or whatever it is, obviously at a hundred miler, would psychologically be far better prepared for Berkeley than most elite athletes would. Uh, as as an elite that. athlete is not used to ever being psychologically pressured uh um, yeah. not not used to being like under the gun sure. um you know I and mean, maybe an elite trying for a for a time or something like mm-hmm. that but uh, this is um something with how how well do you tolerate constant stress from from, from time um, and so that's that like you know not not doing dumb things like oh, okay well i I, uh, I think it's this way oh right yeah just go right okay yeah that's where you screw up and oh man ah dang it i went oh, dang it. Okay. This is the wrong way. Well, if I just keep going the wrong way and I keep going the wrong way fast, eventually I'll, I'll end up on the right way. And it's like, no, no, no you're, you're just gonna screw up bigger. And so that was my, that was my second year. And, and this year, uh, the first time again, in 2011, I ran it kind of cautious, fearful by the second lap. I'd found two other guys that I was running with. One of them was from England and then Joe and John or something like that. Um, really nice guys. And, and, and I knew at that point we weren't running we weren't running a pace that would have gotten us much, much, much beyond the third loop. And so I was like, okay, well, we'll, we'll try to make it for this fun run on this one. And and in this, I'm going to try to learn as much of this course as possible. So, so I knew like I had a little bit of wiggle room because now, now you're aiming for, I think it's sub 36 hours makes a fun run. Uh, I may have that slightly off. That might've mm-hmm. been our time maybe sub 40 hours. Is so I knew I had a little bit of wiggle room. So I started exploring like, okay, when we get to the top of this hill, okay, what's what's a little bit left? What's a little bit right? What does this canyon look like exactly? As I go down this hill, uh, which was, for instance, Chimney Top to Beach Tree or something like that. Okay. I know I have a patch of rocks, sort of a little rocky spine. Then I go off to the left and there's a broken tree. And then there's a, there's a bunch of yellow uh, leaves on this one tree. And I go underneath that and there's another broken tree. And then there's sort of a tree tunnel. And then the beach tree with the book is like right at the end of that tree tunnel. Um, I started memorizing all of those things. Okay. And when I do zip line, which is one of the climbs in the, the Southeastern portion of the course straight and all, all off trail parts at this point, if you go, if, if you draw a straight compass line between the beach tree and your next book up at Indian, Indian knob there, um, you're going to hit just a nasty patch of rocks and it's super, super slow and it's all these big freaking rocks covered in leaves. But if you, uh, hook, uh, directly to the, to the right and you do a heading of 80, 90 degrees for half a mile first, and then shoot straight towards Indian knob smooth easy going. Um, and it was like learning those little subtle things as like okay, next to your if Laz lets me in and I'm able to come back, mm. I'm going to nail this stuff. And so then, yeah, you know, finish three loops on my first year. And um, yeah, it was, it was funny. Uh, Laz was really impressed with me. I think at the time I, I was voted, I was voted the human sacrifice. So he, um he'll give you these little, um, <laughs> what's because I, because I was given two weeks notice kind of, and and I was just 20 years old at the time, you know? Yeah. And and so he'll, uh, he'll, 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 he'll call someone the human sacrifice each year as to who he thinks is going to go out there and just get like totally lost totally fail the first loop they're going to be gone for like the whole 60 hours not because they're getting anywhere just because they're like lost on trying to get to book one um that would mm-hmm. be the quintessential right. human sacrifice typically the person who gets voted the human sacrifice does not make it to loop three and so i think it was like whoa chose the wrong person i guess so that was kind of cool <laughs> um it's not i mean i guess it's it's like a weird uh, i not want to say it's a favoritism type thing it's like in, in favor of, I mean, I guess when you have a race that is 35 people and it's application-based, not dissimilar to, to Badwater, when it's on an application-based mm-hmm. thing that a committee isn't reviewing, it's just a singular individual reviewing, inevitably you have some favoritism where you have some, you know, repeat people that are able to come back. Um, Obviously, yeah. And uh, and so I got up in that mix and was able to, you know, make it back in 20. 20- in 2012 to, to try it again. And that was the year, uh, obviously the documentary and stuff was filmed.
0: So then let's, let's jump ahead to, uh, to your third opportunity to do so. Yeah. You've gone through it twice. Now you are starting to memorize the, the course and kind of doing obviously your research on the plant life out there and stuff like that. Like what was, what was your take on into the third, third year of it? And how did that, how did that change over that first couple of years? Did you do anything different? Did you, you know, was there anything more to study? When it came yeah,
1: to um, horse like- the first year I was really afraid of the race, afraid of that DNF. Again, i built a lot of identity in completing things, mm-hmm. uh, completing hard things. Um, and so then when... Uh, I tried it the second time, you know, it was like this, well, I'm going to finish or die trying kind of thing, you know, and hell or high water, I'm going to finish this bad water race. And, uh, and just went into it with a massively inflated ego, got way lost, way more lost than I had gotten the previous year. Um, and just had a made it, like I said, one, one book away from the, from the fourth loop. Um, and it was running with John feggy uh, who went on to finish for for. The, Big chunk of that year. Yeah, it was really, really my ego that took me out that that second year, and so then the third time uh, in 2012 when I made it back, graduated college at this point. I had two other jobs that I was working. I was working at a, a cancer nonprofit, and then I was working um, as a personal trainer, and then had my. Uh, my wife who was my girlfriend at the time um, had just started a relationship with her um, and so kind of had these things other than running going on in my life which mm-hmm. was actually in retrospect very very good. my identity was not steeped in in running so it let the uh, the ego a little bit or the outcome, the, the potential for the outcome was a little bit lighter at, yeah. at, at Berkeley round three, right? The consequence of like, well, if I don't finish this thing, like, yeah, I really want to finish this thing and I want to put all my effort into it. But if I don't, I got other, I got other things going on. Leading up to it in 2013, again, uh, that was Hurt 100 in January, which was like, okay, well, shoot, that's kind of close. <laughs> If you're looking at that from a coaching perspective now, I'm like, nah. Nah. And, then, <laughs> and, then, and then in amidst the that there was the, the gut check King of the Hill series that I was doing, which was not much, but it was still like an all out RPE 10 effort, like at least yeah. one of those every month. Right. And then, uh, then I did a 12 hour race around a, um, uh, track around, a around a the, what it was, Roar, Roar park in Chula Vista, uh, when okay. i are doing that 12 hour one there. Yep. And, uh, and so I did that in like late February and then the race. And so that was totally dead flat. There was much less of an obsession with, you know, in 2012, there was a huge obsession with, oh, I got to get all the game, got to get all the mountains, got to bushwhack real fast, got to do the hardest things. Yeah. And just this like, oh man, I got to freaking lay down the hammers, beat the crap by myself. And it was just like good volume. Good aerobic running, good training, good posture, good mix of strength training and stuff like that, and going into the race kind of healthy with a little bit more balanced life, actually like way better than I'm going to sacrifice everything, get fifty thousand feet of gain every day for a month, five months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um And I don't know. um And so I showed up at that race, you know. I, yeah, I mean, doing a doing a twelve hour race and then and then doing Hurt One Hundred like and then three months before. it mm, probably pretty dang close to be doing that but i had uh, one of the things that made a big difference was showing up to the race itself um a week early um so uh spring break coincided uh, with my, my my nonprofit job that i was working was with schools around san diego and um uh, the, their spring break coincided with um the start of the event and so i was able to take the week before the event to you know live out in wartburg i got to kind of run all the run all the fire roads and all the the trails that you can in the park to sort of really thoroughly understand from from a ground level finally not with the pressure of the event or anything like that this is this is this fire road this is this fire road this is this oh, okay this is new river okay if i drive this road all the way back around this thing and i really really got a good feel for the lay of the land and so i was very 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 comfortable with the navigation element of the course by the time the the event started i was like okay if i get lost like I, I, I know where to go. I know, I, I know this place. Yeah. Then the event started in, in different than 2011 when the race started, uh, when it started in 2011, I was the first one up bird mountain in like uh, 19 or 20 minutes, some, some stupid fast time. I was way ahead of Jared Campbell and Brett Mon or whatever it was by like 10 minutes, like, in the first thing it was like, dude, what are you, what are you doing? And that was all, all ego, right? Yeah. This is, this is a 60 hour race, man. This is not, a, <laughs> not something it's not that spread, not by any means. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, so when I started then in 2013, yeah, I, I don't even know what place I was, I was hanging mid pack maybe just first book dead on could have done it with my eyes closed second book dead on could have done it with my eyes closed third book could have done it with my eyes closed and by then i had a little trail of a couple other veterans with me and then and then you know you get your trail of virgin runners uh who were there for the first time sort of following you along to, to learn the course as i had done in 2011 uh those who were with me or whatever it was just like precise, 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 like not even screwing around for a second on, on anything. It's really confidently easily. Okay. Yeah. Race leaders are out there doing their thing. I was going to make eight 30, nine hour loop, plenty of time, um, came in real easy change my gear. Okay. It's pissing rain on the second loop. Okay. Nailed it. 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 Nailed it okay, cool. All right. I'm sleep 45 minutes. And it was just like smooth, relatively smooth going. Um, my navigation was like really, really flawless that, that year. And I think again, like going into it, uh, sort of a little bit more balanced in my life at the time, um, and going into it Having prioritized a little bit more health, uh, more than fitness per se, uh, Mm -hmm. is actually beneficial in a, in a 60 hour event like this. And and, and again, having my life a little bit more balanced when we talk about that, like where you don't want to be in what screws so many people up at this race who, who have the talent to finish this thing is, is that inability to, they, they, go into this with, either too much expectation of, okay, well, I trained all, I trained really hard. I, tra- I trained super hard for this, so I should be able to do this. And then, and then you, know, you get out there and make a wrong turn or whatever it is, or, or it's the, oh, what am I trying to say exactly? But, but just the going into it frazzled for whatever reason, you know, uh, you, you, work too many hours. I mean, that was a blessing for me to have that week off prior to the race, you know, to, uh, to yeah. everything super calm in my life going into that. You do not want to go into this race. <laughs> You know, fighting with your spouse, uh, low on finances, uh, in between jobs, uh, uh, having a difficult time with your kids, or something like that. N- none of those extrinsic things can jive really well with this event. That's all got to be pretty, pretty chill. Um.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's so when you get to the, I think you finished, would, do you remember what you finished in? It was like 57 hours, something like that. Yeah,
1: 57 hours, 40 minutes, I
0: think. Yeah, From so like 40 how many, so when you're getting into that, yeah, that last loop, how many, how many runners are with you at that, at that point? Or are you like, are we down to, cause I think you, that year, I think you were the only one that actually finished. Is
1: that right? I was right? Or, a guy named oh, uh, no, Tra- yeah, Tra- there's Travis a, Voldemort. Yeah, yeah there's, exactly. there's two of you. So um,
0: what do you guys, like, cause then I think you guys were a minute or, like not a minute or two, but you are somewhat yeah. close, right? Yeah. So, um, so, what's it like? What's it like when you're when you're getting to the point? You're going through these loops. You get to that last loop, and you've kind of realized, oh shit, there's only two of us left. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Is there is there that is there a kind of a mental shift at that point in time, or yeah. is you, you, are you still trying to maintain that that solid uh, mentality of okay, let's just go through let's just go through the motions let's get this thing done we we know where everything's at i mean how yeah, does that, how um, does that change when you get that last that last loop
1: so Barkley gets really lonely really quick, um, you know, even in that, that first loop or whatever. Yeah, you'll have nine or 10 people interpassing here and there. There's 30, 35 people in the race alone spread out over a whole, you know, state park. So, so it gets narrow pretty quick, not a marked course. People are screwed up, getting lost all over the place. By the second lap, you're down to two or three people that you're proximal to. The third lap, there's probably only at a good year, five or six people in the whole event now at this point and mm. the fourth lap, you're down to two, fifth lap, you're down to one, two. <laughs> um, and so, so Travis and I had ran the third loop, fourth loop together. Um, and then in the, in the fifth loop, we came in together at the same time. Travis, if I recall, came in a little bit before me or something like that. So he chose clockwise direction. I, and, and then I was setting the counterclockwise direction. So you're sent off on your own on that, on that final loop there. And that's to prevent Laz just doesn't want a race where people are tying. Um, he just yeah. wants a race. Until then. <laughs> I mean, so that changed it. It changed it a bit. I mean, so the fourth loop, I, I really had relied heavily on Travis's company to, I'd I really relied on him quite a bit to, um, to, to make it through, to make it through the, the depths of that fourth night uh, or that second night. Um, I'd not had a lot of success with that the previous year. So so I relied pretty heavily on on just his company, just having another human being around, just keep my head down, okay, just follow his legs, just follow this guy's legs. Strangely, when I, when I went off on that fifth loop, if you've read um, Michele something or other, wrote this other whole book about the term focus or, or, or what it is when you, sorry, I said flow, flow state. And so, and so the fifth loop was just a giant flow state. Um, so it was just like being like the matrix kind of drunk you know and Mm -hmm. so like like you know i'm i'm running and then there's a tree in my way and i just kind of go like (laughs) (laughs) just kind of and then i lean this way and i avoid the tree and i trip on the rock but then i do a front flip i land perfectly and i keep running Uh, and that was kind of exactly how the entirety of that fifth loop the entirety of that I think it was 11 hours or something like that, that I spent on that fifth loop felt it was flawless navigation. I didn't even pull out the map once. It was just, okay, I know where the book is. I know where the book is. I know where this book, I was just part of the land at that point. You know, there there was one point where I was coming up uh, rat jaw, which is one of the clients in the event that goes up to the tower and uh, and I need sunscreen. because, uh, like, oh the sun's pretty hot. And so I just I remember just digging in the mud, kind of like a wild rabbit would or something like that, and just taking myself in mud at that point. Um and then just uh and then just, you know, when I when I appeared to uh my mom and my, my wife at the time or my my wife now, <laughs> sort of growling at them. <laughs> when I'm losing my voice. Even I just becoming a savage guy. And, um, and, uh, yeah, just really blending in and becoming part of the, part of the land. It was really the only time in my life I've experienced something quite so flow state transformative ish for, for that long. I've had runner's highs, but this is like, imagine it lasting for like 11 hours plus, um, that's pretty much what that was. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so what do you Like no one laughs, I guess, or not no Laz, but no one type of person is what, what do you even get? if you win the Barclays, just a pat on the back and <laughs> congratulations yeah. type of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. You, don't, you, know, you don't get to hear the <laughs> you, don't, you, um, don't
0: get, you don't get anything. You just say, hey, congratulations. It's,
1: Good it's game. Totally, um, yeah, it, it's not a, yeah, it, it's, it's, I mean, nowadays, I mean, even then, theoretically, you could say, and i mean, from that, and you know, why am I on this podcast with you? Partially because of said accolades that have mm-hmm. followed me since, since the finish of Barclay. So you get that which is, which is pretty big, but I mean, on, on a,
0: I mean, just a uh, personal uh, level, that's, I mean, has yeah. gotta be just up there. At the, I, I would think just kind of up there at the top, the fact that you were able to endure something of that nature for, yeah, you know, 57 hours, you know, yeah. and know that you, you could mentally put yourself through that, physically put yourself through that, I guess and yeah. come, come out on top and, and know, okay, if I ever needed to do this again, this is, I know that yeah. it's possible. Right. And that, yeah, in that sense, that's yeah. the way I, I guess I, I look at that myself, but yeah,
1: no, for sure. And there's that, uh, yeah, but no, when you finish, it's just, a, it's definitely just a pat on the back and <laughs> like maybe five people at the campground still or whatever <laughs> it is. Your crew and you're doing like the other, maybe one or two guys who hung around, but it's not, it's not like it's a 5k, 10k. Oh, we're going to yeah. wait for the
0: winners to come in. Yeah. Or, yeah, was a celebration oh,
1: yeah um, yeah, we'll wait for the marathoners to come in. It's like, okay, well, you know, if you dropped out on the first loop, like uh, you have You're to wait out. two days. You're gonna have to wait for two days to make, for Nick to finish. Or yeah. for the finisher to come in. You know, it's not like. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's interesting.
0: So, <laughs> I want to. I I, uh, I want to get into. S- couple of these international things really quick. Cause I think that's yeah. really cool. Like you go from, from Barclays and uh, there's obviously some races they're following and all that stuff, but like what's to get into the international level of running and races there and stuff like what, you know, to do the tour de chance in Italy, like what, what's the process for something like that? And, and did, did you yeah. have to, did you have to go out there and, and train out there for an extended period of time or like, yeah, how do you like, and it, and just not even just that event, but other events like this Nicaragua event and going to Wales, like yeah. trying to get into some of that. How do you navigate or what's the navigation point of actually getting into those big races?
1: Defining like get into those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tour de Gions, I, 2013, God, that was the year that I finished Berkeley. Okay. So that was a weird year that year was kind of jacked, so this is a year that I would never recommend any of my athletes do. This is definitely like part of what contributed to the aortic aneurysm that I then had in 2018 um, that kind of, pulled me out of the career. And so that was, that was, it was her 100. It was at 70 miler. It was Barkley. It was, uh, Leona divide 50. It was San Diego hundred. Then it was this race called Kimgar hundred over in Germany. Um, and then I hung out wow. then, uh, in late July, I just hung out in Italy, all of, um, all of August, um, and lived with an Italian family in their, in their basement. And just kind of, I lived in and among the start finish area for, for tour de Giants. And so I got to know, Befriended one of the locals there and was friends with some local people at the hotel who would help people for tour de Giants performance. So I got to see pretty much all of the course prior to the event, which started September. During that time, I mean the application for it was nothing spectacular. It was, it was it's it's a lottery application. Um, okay. Just online. Um, strangely, I think you can apply. At the time, I think you—I don't know if they've changed it since. At the time, you could apply having not done a hundred miler before and having no previous experience, which was kind oh, of like, wow. oh that's that's, that's a little crazy right there. I think that's weird that you can go show up at a two hundred five mile race, but it really <laughs> doesn't <again>. But yeah, <laughs> go for it. And um, <laughs> so, so I made it in off the lottery there for that one. To that event was just you know getting the, the, the fascinating fun part. The memories that I have with that event really are like it was really cool, but like learning, learn, learning and hanging out with like the Italians, the Italian culture going on runs with the locals and stuff like that, up the mm-hmm. different mountains and Cormier and stuff like that were like really, really fun. That was almost more of the, I don't know. I, I had just a lot of, a lot of fun with that so that when the event came, it was like another awesome thing, but it had already been such an awesome trip and kind of
0: experience. There. Yeah.
1: So at least that, that was the entry for, for, for TDG. Um, uh, the, the second year I got in on a, on a wild card or whatever, cause I'd picked up Gravel who's a black diamond more similar to what black diamond does, but more, more for Europe. There's are a mountaineering company. Um, this is working, um, uh, sponsored by them and so they invited me back the second year um and that went the same thing for ronda del sims i got in on a on a sponsorship with them um both of those events though uh ronda del sims is one that you can just sign up for and so that one's a a gnarly epic forty thousand feet of gain 100 miler in in andorra which is a you know southern southern spain france border and so just in the southern pyrenees there so that one's a gnarly gnarly race that was super cool uh, and I, you know, it, once you'd finished Barkley and in the documentary had kind of come out and word had gotten out both nationally and internationally about it. Um, by the time you know the whales race and stuff like that, by the time I did that in 2017, he, as you would imagine, there's a little bit of oh yeah, Academus still a race, Bar Barkley Bar- Bar- <laughs> finisher here. Oh yeah, yeah, come to our race, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, we'd love to have a Barkley finisher out here. And so you know, I mean, that's some of what you, you you're asking, and they kind of well, what do you what do you get for this? A pat on the back? But yeah. you kind of get a little bit of leverage in the future whatever, yeah. if you want it, you know? And uh he, he leaned on that a little bit. Well I mean I no I, I applied like everybody else still for for uh, uh, dragons back and I want to say that one was a lottery as well and got got into that one um over in Wales and then Nicaragua was an invitation. <laughs>
0: so how many uh like when you're doing like all these international like I said I I was looking at the tourence and over the, the history of that race, which is only 10 years, or I guess this would be its 11th year now, I think you're the only American. Like I said, that's podiumed, like how, yeah. how, many, how many Americans actually are, do you see it at events like this? I mean, it's obviously only, probably only your top top elite runners will probably want to usually try and go to something like this, but do you, yeah. do you, do you see a lot of American athletes trying to get into to international stuff?
1: Yeah, so this this is one where I would I would go back, and this is sort of the critic, but the kind critic in me, going back and saying like, okay, well, imagine all the all the elite runners, and, and Nick is Nick is kind of almost almost an elite runner or whatever it is, and all my all my peers and stuff are all going off to CIF and state championships in California, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go to a marathon. Right? Similarly to that, fast forward what, five, six years or whatever it is. All of the elite runners, Anton Kripipka, Dakota Jones, and stuff like that, are all going off to UTMB, which is one week before, one a week and a half before TDG, mm-hmm. just on the other side of Mount, Mont Blanc and Chamonix, and and all of them are doing UTMB. Same thing. I'm going to go off and go do TDG, <laughs> which is a little bit more obscure race that at the time again, really no one, uh, at least on on a on a national level in the United States, had had heard of not a whole lot of people had, had heard of the event. Um, right. when I went there there were very few people, maybe 5 6 of us from the United States. It was predominantly a predominantly an Italian, French and and um, uh, Spanish crowd uh who, who was there. So, uh, a lot of Japanese people actually as well. I mean, I think more and more people are showing up to that race now. Um yeah. it's it's been around for a while. Uh it was one of like the OG the OG 200s that I think you could do before, before Candice Bird stuff uh, really took off here in the U S
0: from an organizational standpoint. I don't know if you even notice this type of thing. I mean, is is there a, cause I think I've seen photos of some of the international races. Is it kind (laughs) of like, is it kind of like the, like cycling is in Europe as it is here? There's a lot more spectator stuff going on at these international races. Yeah right i mean it's oh yeah so that's that's the big thing there but from even from an organizational standpoint do you notice any any differences big differences from a runner perspective that that the international race directors
1: do versus the race directors here in the states it's it's night and day man i mean just just imagine here if the uh, i mean no no disregard to the u.s forest service or the permitting agencies here in the united states but um you know here here you 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 pay for a permit or whatever it is and you're paying you know 80 bucks to have your park ranger on site 80 bucks per hour to have him there for you know your 20 hour event or whatever it and is you're paying your permit and you know please god let me get my Permit again next year imagine if instead of that hey uh yeah come to the um come to the cleveland national forest we're going to pay you uh, we're going to give you one of our helicopters to follow you (laughs) um we're going to tell everyone Uh in these villages that this is going on and um yeah, please, please come. Um, this is really good for our tourist money. We're going to advertise you everywhere and we're going to fully support you. Yeah. How much, how much do you need or whatever? It's government backed, man. The helicopters out there, the search and rescues out there, they're flying friggin' little trailers up to the top of peaks at 11,500 feet. Uh, and you're getting to the top of this thing at two in the morning with a field of 1,600 people that's spread out over 120 hours. And you're getting at this top of this peak at two in the morning and they've flown a trailer up there with a helicopter, with hot coffee, uh, spread of, you know, different meats and cheeses and energy Jesus. bars and all these things and <laughs> and you're just sitting there, you know, drinking your little coffee at 11,500 feet on a remote mountain pass and like, da, 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 and then you continue on. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just okay. like, it's government backed. You can't, you can't compare It's the U S government backed trail running. Sure. Yeah. We'd have races like that, but we, did, we, we don't do that in the U S
0: <laughs> if there's any, uh, government agencies or forest service agencies listening to this podcast, uh, let's, let's take note of that, please. Um, <laughs> it would make it a lot easier on us race directors if we had that kind of support. Oh, <laughs> yeah. you know,
1: uh, I mean, and that's, that's at least that's how I see it from the participant side. I, I don't know if that's the actual, What's going on? Yeah, I know there's I know there's a fair bit of tourist money in for sure. Instead of, and I mean, as a result, you do see a difference between I think the only wildlife that they have in Italy, to, as, as as a mild critique of it, um, would be you know the stembek or the ibex. You know, are more or less the only wildlife that you're going to encounter during TDG. Uh, a lot of it's been wiped out through thousands of years of of, of living out of, of individuals living out there in the United States we are running through areas that, you know, do have a prolific amount of biodiversity and stuff still. So it's that and minus is different. But. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so from, from the time that you got started, and I, I do want to kind of touch just on the open heart yep. surgery thing just a little bit, but I, I do want to ask first, like the time you did your, your very first marathon, right. It was San Diego rock and roll to, yep. you know, the, The last big international race you did or you know last big race you did in 2017 before everything happened like what's one or two things that you took away as far as like hey this is this is the top of it and then is there anything that stood out as kind of bottom of the barrel like oh my god i would never want to do this again or i cannot believe that i put myself through this
1: that's a good question. The brain is wired to have so much easier access to bottom of the barrel stuff. Um, <laughs> it's a funny thing, it is, isn't it? A, it's weird. <laughs> psychological protective mechanism to keep us uh, aware of the bear that may attack our our cave thousands of years ago. Bottom of the barrel. What comes up for me is a time in two thousand and fourteen. 2014 i had entered a race called world's toughest mudder um this is not too dissimilar from 2014 where i did um it's a a funny year some of the races (laughs) were very good some of the races were like whoa so much ego i'd entered in world's toughest mudder and so this is an obstacle course race and so it's a five mile circuit that you did around uh lake las vegas out out just east of las vegas and um bottom of the barrel in the respect that i got out there um i had uh just really treated my my again uh luckily wife at the time uh no, wife wife currently girlfriend at the time <laughs> i've been treating her really poorly really neglecting her she had been doing a mfa a masters in fine arts for, for creative writing at the time and just really been neglecting her in my relationship and stuff like that had still sort of uh, demanded it somewhat of her to you know, come out to this race crew and stuff like that and that kind of just fell apart and blew up uh a lot of that was my 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 fault, my, my issue, um, that fell apart during, during that race, um, since so about 12 hours into it. And, um, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd given her my phone to, Hey, you know, take some pictures of me. And then she'd seen some texts of me saying some crappy things to another person about, about her it was really shitty me to do. And, and, and that coincided at a time where I had egotistically gone into this event thinking I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to be Top, world's toughest mutter. These OCR athletes have no idea what they're doing. They're not athletes. I'm gonna come in. I'm gonna freaking run 125 miles here and blow the metal water. And I was getting my ass kicked. I was like 50 miles in, and, and you know you're running with a wetsuit on because mm. you're in and out of water so much. And and, uh, and and then we had just had this like horrible sandstorm thing. It was just getting gnarly. And between the psychology of really upsetting my 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 girlfriend and my wife through that combined with the difficulty, uh, that, that my, I had perceived the race to be a a six difficulty and it was a nine. Right. And so, and so that discrepancy there, uh, combined with, um, what was going on uh, interpersonally with me, um, I ended up dropping at like mile 55 of it just totally, I don't know. I was exaggerating how, how hurt and how, how bad I was feeling, but, but, uh, just, that was pretty, that was pretty bottom of the barrel for me at the time. Just, just feeling like, I don't know, what, what a failure I was for thinking that I could do that, what a failure I was for screwing up my relationship like that. And just, yeah, that's not a time that I would uh, particularly want to. Something I'm happy that I went through, so I don't repeat it, but not something I'd go back to, per se. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Flipping the script. Um, height of the, sometimes that, that I really remember is some of the most positive. Um, and TDG, probably my second year uh comes to mind and just getting to run portions of the course uh one of the parts of the course god it was like mile i don't know 150 160 or something like that and crazy mountain pass technical at night like rain, all that crap right and uh and i didn't expect my wife to be there <laughs> and then jade was up there and i was really dealing with this knee pain and she walks in through the through the aid station or whatever it was which is, they're all little cabins up in the mountains. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going I'm to crew you on this next part. Like, Whoa. And it was really just so cool to get to, I don't know, like two in the morning running with my wife, like down random mountains in Italy with it like thundering <laughs> lightning. And I, I didn't even know if she was like, I was I was dubious about it because I was like, I don't know if you're like that ready for this technical stuff. I'm ready. <laughs> just killing it, man. Just killing downhills, doing so great with it. And that's just having a mm-hmm. really, really fun time out there. Uh, another part of the course where we're just, you know, She didn't get to the, the driver who I had, uh, wasn't doing a great job. um taking taking care of her, my other friend in terms of crew. And, uh, he lived (laughs) off of espresso and cigarettes the whole race and, um, neither of them liking espresso or cigarettes. Jade hadn't had a chance to eat much. And, you know, another part of the race where she, she pays me for another part of it and we get up to another, um, uh, refugio is what they were called, and uh, a little hut, and uh, they were serving minestrone soup, and i just sitting with her uh, at a table in the middle of the race, you know, <laughs> just enjoying the minestrone soup with with my girlfriend at the time. It was just like ah. those are some of the things that stick out to me. Ultra trail to Mount Fuji, uh, or ultra trail Mount Fuji, doing that one, and like the total race was a, was just total crap. But like afterwards, going uh, with uh, my sponsors at the time, Innovate, and going uh, with those guys down to. um, <laughs> Uh, one of those rotating sushi bars in downtown Tokyo and just like having a freaking great time with them and just doing that. And just, I don't know, some of the, some of the cultures that I've gotten to meet watching, watching Johnson, who was, a uh, he was, he'd been first at Fuego Yago before in Nicaragua, watching the guy in the days I went out like a weekend before the race and just watching that guy, like he works he works on a banana plant, plantation and, uh, and he can climb a freaking like 90 foot tree in like two seconds. And it was just watching him just like boom, 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 and just jump like Ten foot gaps between branches, and I was just wow. like, "What the f? How how would I ever beat this dude at the survival run thing? This is this guy's backyard. There's no way." Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it was just so cool. To just get to meet to meet, to get to meet and know people like that. I mean, that's the events are cool. The events are awesome, but it's the it's the it, probably the people. Uh, if that sounds trite and uh, chic, but uh, to say it's, it's it's the people that you get to, to no, meet and around I mean, them I,
0: mean, I mean, let's look at it. I mean, trail running is is all about the community. It's all about nature. It's, you know, it's not so much, I love the fact that both your highs and lows had to revolve around personal experiences you had, right? It wasn't so yeah. much the race itself. Right? Yeah, it could have been any race, man. It, it any race. <laughs> this, race, this race is amazing. This it, it, it could have been winning this or winning that, but it yeah. does. It comes down to the fact that it, it's all experience. Like, and that's really what I love about small little race director here in, in san diego in colorado but the fact that you get a chance to be around this community in nature itself like yeah i couldn't imagine being like a you're know, doing a race director in the middle of new york city or whatever right it's a little bit different like I would, yeah, it'd be it's, different. it's just different and i i love like i said i love the fact that your experiences that you point out are all stuff that you've like people you've you've met places you've seen. Cause that is, it is I think the trail running community is one of the best communities in the sports industry. Like yeah. the individuals that, that run it, the people that are involved, it's, it's all great. So that's, that's really cool. It's probably one of the best answers I've ever, ever had on, oh, on the show. So <laughs> <laughs> real quick, I, I do want to, like I said, I do want to kind of talk about the, the heart surgery, cause that's really yeah. what put your, career to a halt and it was, it was completely unexpected if I'm not mistaken, right? Like you, you were born with a, born with a heart defect that you didn't even know about Yeah, kind of just tacked on because of all of the, all the intense races you were doing.
1: Yeah. So, so, so uh, just to go over that quickly, I was born with what's called a bicuspid aortic valve. Um, So you have a bunch of different valves, your mitral valve your tricuspid valve. I think you have two tricuspid valves. Um, Don't quote me on that. Anyways, uh, if you can imagine for podcast listeners, um, something opening fully and a lot of blood or a lot of liquid going through it when when that valve opens fully uh, and you have a big hole for it to go through, it can go through at a slower velocity, uh, go through at a slower speed. Uh, Now picture that same thing opening, but but you've reduced its its, uh, size of that opening to half, right? And now everything, now the same volume of liquid is still traveling through there but it has to travel. It comes out the other end at a much higher speed because you're shoving it through a much smaller opening. So that's essentially what a bicuspid valve is, right? It's a smaller opening, um, higher pressure traveling through that bicuspid valve. Um, as a result of that, where where that volume of of liquid, volume of blood exited, hit my aorta, um, and over time, um, expedited by running ultras, um, my, my aorta grew. That was... Basically what happened was my, my uh, aorta ended up, ended up growing. And uh, I, I had it checked out in 2013 um, after finishing Berkeley from feeling like weird breathing experience. So I knew I had a dilated aorta. Um, the doctors say, hey, check up on it every year. You might need surgery when you're 40. But then uh, sort of unexpectedly getting it checked on in 2017. And the doctor was like, oh, yeah, it's 5.1 centimeters. They start to like, you know, you start to run into issues of it potentially popping on you and rupturing. Um, at six centimeters, you may want to get that operated on sooner than later. And I, I had uh, Mount Fuji uh, lined up again in April, and it was like, "Man, I got I psychologically." There's no way I can imagine trying to race around Mount Fuji with this idea that you know I've got oh, a God, yeah. time bomb in my chest. And it was just like, "No, let's get this operated on now." So, <laughs> so yeah, it was 2000, early 2018, that I had it done.
0: You haven't, because you really haven't returned to to the, to racing at this point. I mean, I, you, you have done some races I, mm-hmm. I, I, take, but not to any level nor I mean, are you, are you even back in that mentality that you would ever get back into doing these big races like that ever again?
1: Yeah. Um, I I'd like to, um, I, I think some of me would like to, I don't know if, um, I, I've kind of given up at least the, the attachment to me ever being competitive at them again and into like being in the top, three or five or setting records or anything like that. Um, mostly I'll say I've given up on the attachment to that. And there's been a lot of mental stuff that sort of came out of the heart surgery. If you can imagine having, having that strong attachment to, um, to, to running, completing these and being a person who goes and completes the toughest races and stuff. And I, I've done a bunch of 50 Ks and stuff. I tried hurt 100 in 2019. Um, I dropped out at mile 27 cause I was feeling a weird heart thing. It turned out to be nothing. I, uh, I don't know. I've got a, I've got a little thing maybe planned for August that I'm, I'm pretty low key on or I'm on the down low about it. I don't know if I'll speak publicly about what I'm trying in August, but yeah, (laughs) I may be trying things again.
0: Well, you're, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think I've seen too, your wife is an ultra as well, right? So have you been, have you been, have you been uh, able to crew for her a little bit too? Yeah.
1: Yeah. She, she killed it at Zangray 50, set the course record and everything there this year. Um, and it's just been just moving up in the sport constantly and just just totally killing it. So it's been a blast to- um, Well, send, see, send now, now it's- It's hard to just to follow what,
0: what comes around goes around now. So exactly. she, she crewed for you for so long, <laughs> so now, now it's your yeah. turn. So I'm, just,
1: I'm, just, I'm just karmically paying it back now.
0: Yeah, exactly. One of the things that came out of, of uh, you not being a full-time uh, racer, you, you started your own coaching business too. And so lucky 13, uh what's what's where's the name come from
1: so that was being the 13th finisher of the Barkley marathons we renamed it when i just just recently uh about two months ago joined with my wife and named it lightfoot coaching um in honor of one of our uh, rabbits, uh, that had, that had passed, but yeah, uh, lightfoot coaching, um, and, and cool. lucky 13 had come from being, um, and that was another thing was trying to disassociate from being only associated with the Barkley Marathon <laughs> <laughs> and being okay, I'm gait analysis, I'm, I'm mindset, you know, psychology coaching, uh, Jade's functional medicine and nutrition, and, and we're, we're a little bit more rounded than just, um, the, the athletes who are you know, really wanting to go for the, I, I love training those guys and stuff, there's guys and girls and stuff as well, um, but so you,
0: so you must do. You must do. I mean, obviously, you do a lot of stuff virtually as far as coaching.
1: Yes. Um, yeah.
0: Right. Um, yeah. Is is there any in person coaching with you at this point in time? With
1: uh, other- I work with a couple. I work with. So I live in Sedona, Arizona, which is. Um, it's a tourism district destinations a lot of people people have passed through um so people are able to book with me if they want to do one-on-one gate analysis and stuff like that if they're coming through Sedona um, otherwise it's just a small handful of people that I work with here Um, I worked with taught group gate clinics and stuff like that uh in San Diego uh when I was living there for a while and did the same thing up in Washington when we lived there Nice.
0: Well, yeah. I've I've kept you. <laughs> I appreciate oh, you staying yeah. on a lot longer than what I expected. Yeah, but yeah. I, I tell what, I could I could literally sit here and talk to you for another two hours. Like <laughs> I've had such a great time listening to into the stories and stuff. I really appreciate you sharing everything and and being open to sharing sharing stories from from all over the world. So it's it's been awesome. And, and I wish you the best of luck whatever comes your way. You know, whether yeah, it's the they, coaching they thing coach or our new yeah. or some some of the racing stuff that's coming up. Whatever it is. I I
1: wish you the, you guys the best. So, thank you so much, Jeff. It's a, it a honor and a pleasure to be on a Trail Life podcast with you, man.
0: All right, that'll do it for another episode of the Trail Life podcast. Special shout out to Nicodemus De La Rosa for joining me today uh, and sharing his stories. It was uh, it was really fun to sit and listen about the. Barkley marathons and Badwater 135, you know, his international career. And personally, I think Barkley is one of the toughest races out there. I've, I've known people that have attempted it and now I know somebody who's actually completed it. And so it was really cool to to hear their mentality, their prep work going into that event and just even like how he took away the experience of it all, you know, with his career. So that's really fun to, to listen in on. And, and as trail runners, that's what we're all in for is we're in it for the experience. You know, the races are great. Yes. As long as we, you know, we're able to compete and have fun. Awesome. But it's all about the experience. So I hope you guys enjoyed listening in. Thank you very much. And we'll see you out on trails real soon. Music for the trail life podcast was provided by Porter astronauts. With lyrics written by Matt Meyer.